First Peter chapter one. And uh, this morning I'd like to speak about trials that can come to a Christian, even though he has not sinned. And uh, it's very important if, uh, if a trial comes into a Christian that he knows uh, why it is there. I mean, of course, if I, if I uh, am sinning, if I'm not in fellowship with the Lord, then, um, then I expect to have trials in my life. There's a great verse in the book of Galatians chapter 6 where Paul, writing to Christians... And Paul says, uh, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he reap. And if he sows to the flesh, he shall from the flesh reap corruption. And that's a verse that he's writing to Christians. I mean, a Christian says, well, I have Jesus Christ as my Savior. I have eternal life. And uh, therefore, the question of sin is uh, behind me. But actually, we should be walking in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ and not yielding in lust to the things of the world. And Paul cautions the Christian in the churches at Galatia. He says, don't be deceived about this. Don't make a mistake about this. That whatever a man sows in his life, he shall reap. And if he sows to the flesh, if a Christian sows to the flesh... He cannot expect the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and so on. And uh, it's important for him to know that. As a matter of fact, uh, if you just turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 for a moment, there's two more verses that are directed towards Christians, uh, sort of uh, directing us not to sin, before the Lord or what we do, what happens if we do sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and uh, verse 31 is a good verse to just keep in mind as you go along your Christian life. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. In other words, if I know that I am apart from God, and I really desire to experience the love and the goodness of God, and I repent of my sin and commit myself to the Lord, then that is the end of the matter. That does not come up again in my life. But look at verse 32. But when we are judged, suppose I don't repent of that sin, but I am truly a son of God. If we are judged, when we are judged, We are chastened by the Lord. We are disciplined by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. If you're a child of God, then you're a child of God. If your sins are washed away, then your sins are washed away. And you, uh, if a Christian therefore sows to the things of the flesh and unfortunately is walking down a wrong path, But he's never going to be judged with the unbelievers. He does have Jesus Christ as his Savior. So those are two good verses for a Christian to just keep in his mind. Verse 31, if we judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But if if God does judge me because of my sin, 
If I am a Christian, when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Now, I would like to speak to you about uh, the trials that come into your life that are not the result of sin, but they're just trials that are permitted in your life so that through those trials, God will will mold you unto the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, it's reserved in heaven for you, who are kept, by the power of God. In other words, I have, a, I have an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, reserved for me in heaven. And meanwhile, while I'm here on the earth, I'm kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter, when he speaks about salvation, he speaks of it as yet future. Now, if I were to say to you today, you know, are you saved? You would say, yes, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I'm saved. And I believe that, and I would say to you, and I'm saved, but I'm not totally saved. I'm not in heaven yet. I don't have the redemption of my body yet. I can see that. Uh, You can see that in a minute. I can look at you and know that you're not, you don't have the redemption of your body either. You're going to look a whole lot better in heaven than you do right now. So you have salvation that is still waiting for you too. The Lord is going to come and take you for uh, uh, to heaven. And therefore, when Peter speaks about salvation... In verse 5, he speaks about salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice. Yes, when we read about our salvation, we rejoice in it. That we have eternal life, we have a living hope based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have an inheritance in heaven, incorruptible, undefiled. We are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation. God is going to complete our salvation and bring us to the Father's house. And uh, in these things, in verse 6, we greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. And any Christian knows that I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, but there still can be trials in my life. That you're walking according to the Spirit of God, but there still can be trials in your life. 
it may be the loss of a loved one, it may be poor health, maybe you're worried about your job, maybe other things you're concerned about your future. Whatever it is, you have trials in your life. Christians who are sitting here this morning, you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you have still trials in your life. I know every once in a while uh, somebody gets on TV and says, if you take Christ as your Savior, your worries are over. Your health is going to be perfect. The money will never cease coming in. And everything is going to work out well. But that's not true in Christianity, is it? I mean, we live in a world which rejects the Lord. We live in a world where the Bible says the God of this world is Satan, right? The God of this world is Satan. Therefore, it's not unreasonable for a Christian to realize that God will permit trials in your life. Notice in verse 6, you greatly rejoice, uh, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, is tested by fire and may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, you're saved, and you're saved by faith. Now God wants that faith to blossom. I'm saved as a babe in Christ. God wants me to grow as a son of God. He doesn't want me as a little child blown to and fro by every wave of doctrine. He wants me to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible never says to a Christian, you have to grow in righteousness. You don't have to do that. Jesus Christ has paid for your sin. But you have to grow in the knowledge of Christ and your faith is strengthened. And uh, God permits uh, these trials in your life. See, it's sort of a good news, bad news thing. The good news is the Lord is conforming you to the image of his son. The bad news is he may use trials in order to do it. Now, when these trials come, it's very important that you recognize that it is not a trial as a result of my sin. Of course, if it is as a result of my sin, then stop sinning. And repent of your sin. And if you judge yourself, you shall not be judged. But if I can see that trial as coming from the hand of God to strengthen my faith, then I can handle that trial. I can handle that trial because it will, I will uh, come out of it stronger. Look at Romans chapter 5 for a moment. Romans chapter 5. And verse verse 3, Romans chapter 5 and verse 3. Not only this, but we glory in tribulations. I mean, you know, do you glory in tribulations? (laughs) Paul got to the point where he could say, I glory in tribulation. Why is that? Because I can see in that trial that God is working with me that I'm good enough to be on the team, that God sees growth possibilities in me. 
It's just like you go out for the team and you have to exercise and do the calisthenics and all of this. This really hurts in your muscles. But you can still rejoice because you know that you're on the team and you're going to get stronger. And who knows, you may taste victory in your life. Paul puts it this way in verse 3. We glory in tribulation. Tribulation produces patience. If you have a trial, the first thing that trial will do is drive you to God. See, When everything is perfect, then uh, we're not quite so earnest in our prayer. We don't quite need the Lord so much. But when there's a trial in my life, it brings me right back to God. Tribulation produces patience and patience experience. It gives God another opportunity to prove to me that I am his and that he is working with me and that he is improving me. And experience leads to hope and it is a hope that I will never be ashamed of. The hope is that I will be glorified with the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, In this, uh, I say again, it's important to notice that the trial comes from God. Uh, Look at uh, 2 Corinthians for uh, the very experience of Paul in uh, a trial that came to him. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 7. Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, that I be exalted above measure. Now God gave Paul a thorn in the flesh, Because God gave to Paul the whole mystery of the church. And he says, now go out and preach the church. Nobody knew about the church until God revealed it to Paul. And Paul presents it in uh, Ephesians chapter 2. And so great was this revelation that God gave Paul a thorn in the flesh Notice, lest I be exalted above measure. You know, in a way, it shows you what a great man Paul was. I mean, I don't know of any other disciple that got a thorn in the flesh because the revelation of God was so mountainous to him. But Paul got that. And here he gets this great message to go out and preach what is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the same time, he gets this physical thorn in the flesh. Some people feel that it was uh, poor eyesight. But it doesn't truly say it in the Bible. Uh, And uh, look at verse 8. Concerning this thing, Paul pleaded with the Lord. He begged the Lord to take this away from him. Maybe in your trial, you beg the Lord. You get down on your knees and plead with the Lord. Look, Lord, I'm ready to do your will, but don't make it so hard for me to do what I am doing. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times 
that it might depart from me. And God answered him in verse 9. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. He said, Paul, this is going to help you in your preaching. It's going to keep you humble and it's going to make your message more effective. And as soon as Paul sees this trial is from God, then Paul says, therefore, in verse 9, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs and persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's just the same as he said in Romans 5. I glory in tribulations. I glory in tribulations. And so it's very important when you see a trial to actually say, is this a trial given to me by God whereby he's going to make me stronger and I'm going to I'm going to be able to serve him better. Now I'd like to point this out in the life of David. Uh, if you turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. You know, David is one of the very great men in the Bible and uh, there's a lot about David. Not only is there a lot written about his life, but David wrote so many psalms that at uh, any one time, reading the psalms, you can look right into the very very heart of, of David. 1 Samuel chapter 18. Here's David. And he has just defeated Goliath in battle. And he's become the darling of the hearts of all of Israel. He was the national hero. There was no one more loved. There was no one more celebrated. David was about 19. He was about 19 or 18 when he went out and slew Goliath and won that great victory for the people of the Lord. Now, when David was a shepherd boy and God saw how he handled the lambs, especially in their time of need, a time of birth, and the care that David gave, there was nobody watching him. He wasn't trying to impress anything. He just had a shepherd's heart. You know, God loves a shepherd's heart. He loves that. And in Psalm 78, God says, when David was just maybe 12 or so he said that is the man I'm going to choose as my king you know if you want to be a real blessing to your brothers and sisters uh, in the assembly then develop a shepherd's heart God loves a shepherd's heart and then when he was younger uh, or a little older in the house of his father uh, Jesse all of a sudden, the prophet Samuel appears, and Samuel anoints David as king of Israel, but nobody really knows it. David is anointed, perhaps, as king of Israel when he's 15. David does not sit on the throne until he's 30. And God is going to prepare David 
that when he sits on that throne, he's going to be the greatest king that Israel ever had, and he's going to establish the kingdom and bring glory to the name of the God of Israel. And God is going to do that through trials. Notice in 1 Samuel chapter 18, when he beat Goliath, uh, he was the darling of the heart. Uh, in, in verse 2, Saul, who was the king, doesn't let David go home anymore. He says, David, you're going to be with me in my throne room. And uh, Jonathan, who was the crown prince, he loved David. And uh, uh, the women sang their song. Look at verse 7. Uh, Saul is slain his thousands, but David is ten thousands. And here he is, I suppose, 19 or 20, and he is the national hero. You know, sometimes you take a man that young and you heap fame and fortune upon him, all of a sudden he goes out and starts to act rather stupidly. He makes very poor decisions. But David is a man of God and he acts wisely. David does not sin in this chapter. Notice, for example, in verse 5, David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. Uh, notice uh, in verse 14, David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Verse 30, the princes of the Philistine went out to war, as it was, when they went out, and David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name became highly esteemed. And so here is David. He's a very sensible, stable young man. He is walking in the ways of the Lord. But God is going to permit trials in his life because he is going to learn through trials things that you cannot learn any other way. Well, as the women sing these, uh, this song that Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands, Saul immediately becomes very jealous of David. Now he sees David as a threat. David is going to replace me as king. My son Jonathan is the lawful descendant to be a king, and David may be king instead of Jonathan. And all of a sudden, Saul's whole demeanor changes, and he gets it in his mind that he has to kill David. And David comes under a death penalty, but not because David sins. Now, how bad was this in uh, chapter 19? Uh, notice verse 11. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. I mean, suppose, for example, the, uh, the governor of Florida, he detached a police force to your home with orders to shoot on sight. I mean, that would really shake your life up, wouldn't it? I mean, if somebody said to you right now, well, look, you can't go home. People are waiting to kill you. And you can't go to your job Monday morning. People are waiting to kill you. And all of a sudden, your life is thrown into a turmoil. And this is a terrible situation. 
And David's going to endure that for about five or six years. Five or six years around every corner. He is going to endure the jealousy of Saul who will seek to kill him. Saul has the army at his disposal. But David is, uh, it's a, a very difficult thing. Notice that uh, 1 Samuel chapter 20. And uh, in verse 1, he's talking to Jonathan. Now Jonathan loved Loved David. Jonathan was Saul's son, but Jonathan loved David. And and uh, David says to Jonathan in verse one, "What have I done?" You know, that's that's sort of a natural question that comes to me. What have I done? And what a Christian has to do is r- rise above that. I've done something and and God is penalizing me. No, David, God is not penalizing you. God is trying you and he's going to bring you smarter and better. What have I done? Notice, for example, he also uh, speaks about, look at verse 3, as he says to Jonathan, truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. How would you like to live like that for five years? You know, I, I imagine that there are missionaries in the world that in a way live like that, or people in the world right now, they live in a country that will not tolerate Christianity, and uh, they just wonder perhaps what uh, the next day will bring. With David, it was very real a step between me and death, not because of David's sin. Just uh, keep your place and turn to the Gospel according to John chapter 15. The Gospel according to John chapter 15, because if we uh, speak about someone who is unjustly accused, that the greatest example in the Bible is the Lord Jesus Christ unjustly accused. And look at uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 15, and um, verse 25, as the Lord speaks about his persecution. John 15, verse 25, But this happened, that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. Every once in a while at breaking of bread, someone as he presents the Lord Jesus Christ will present that, that the world hated the Lord Jesus without a cause. I mean, why was he worthy of death? Simply because the heart of man saw no beauty in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, you see beauty in the Lord Jesus Christ. To those of us who believe, Peter says, he is precious. But the world sees no beauty in Christ, and it says they hated me without a cause. We say yes, we identify that verse with the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice, the Lord Jesus says, He's quoting a verse which comes from the Psalms that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. And what Psalm is that? 
from uh, in the Bible. Sometimes it, uh, in the subscript it gives you the quote. It comes from Psalm 69 and verse 4. Psalm 69 and verse 4. They hated me without a cause. Who wrote Psalm 69? David did, didn't he? David wrote it. Now, nowhere's near the level that the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking about. But David, doing his life, in Psalm 69, verse 4, David said, They hated me without a cause. I am under the penalty of death, and I do not deserve it. Look at uh, 1 Samuel 21. 1 Samuel 21. David is just running for his life. Of course, you can't run very far because uh, you run out of Israel territory, you run into Philistine territory, and that's not very safe. But within the boundaries of Israel, David is running for his life. 1 Samuel chapter 21. David comes to Nob, to Abimelech, uh, Ahimelech, the priest, and Ahimelech was afraid when he met David. I mean, David is all disheveled. David hasn't eaten in days. David is not carrying a weapon. David is not in uniform. He says, why are you alone? Usually there should be a company of soldiers. You know, Saul at one time had made David the commander-in-chief of the army for killing Goliath. Can you imagine being the commander-in-chief of the army at the age of 19? Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? And in verse 2, David begins to falter. And this is a good test, you know, uh, that, you can, that you can apply to yourself. David begins to falter. He lies. You never want to get to the point in your Christianity where you have to lie to explain things. That means you're not on God's path. If you're in fellowship with God, you don't have to lie. You do not. David says to Ahimelech, the priest, the king has ordered me on some business and said to me, don't let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you or what I have commanded you and I have directed my young men to such and such a place. That was all a lie. David was running for his life. The next thing he says to the priest is, do you have anything to eat? The next thing he says to the priest is, do you have a weapon? Of all things, the priest happened to have the sword of Goliath. Look at verse 9. The priest says, I have the sword of Goliath, and if you will take that, take it. So David takes the sword of Goliath. You know, there was a time when he held that sword up in victory, the darling of the heart of Israel. Now he is, he is sort of scared. Look at verse 12. David still has more to sink. David... Uh, uh, or not, not 12, uh, verse 10. David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. David comes to the conclusion, the only place I'm going to be safe is if I dwell with the Philistines. I mean, isn't, I mean, sometimes, you know, 
as Christians, we find ourselves in weird places, you know. It would be as a Christian would say, well, I'm not getting along too well as a Christian. I'll just go back to the things of the world and I'll see if the world can give me safety and the world can give me comfort and so on. I think there's a lot of Christians in their lives. They go back to the things of the world. The world cannot provide any strength in a situation like this. And as soon as David gets among the Philistines, uh, notice uh, in verse 11, the servants of Achish, the Philistine king, said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? This Israelite, he's our enemy, and he's the king of the land. It's too bad David didn't know that about himself. It's too bad that David could not see the nobility that God was bringing him to. And as David hears that, he suddenly realizes he's not welcome with the Philistines. And now, how do I get out of the Philistines alive? And in verse 13, he changes of behavior before them. He feigns madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate, and let his saliva fall down his beard. I don't know if anything that extreme has ever happened to you, but it may be as a Christian that you come home one day and said, well, I really didn't honor the Lord Jesus Christ today, you know. And by the things that I said, oh, yes, I'm going to show that I'm really one of the boys or something like that. I'm trying to find comfort in the camp of the Philistines. No, there's no comfort there. Um, One of the great things about David is, as I say, that when uh, he runs into a difficulty, he, he writes a psalm about it. And uh, there is a psalm, 34, if you keep your place and then turn to uh, Psalm 34. And if you read, if you read Psalm 34, there's a little subscript before you get into the psalm. And I hope your Bible has it. Mine does. Psalm 34, just before verse 1, these are the words that you read. It's a psalm of David when he pretended madness before Abimelech who drove him away and he departed. Is that in your Bible? I mean, do you see it there? And all of a sudden, you have a whole psalm. You can read all about that experience and how low David was. Look at Psalm 34 and verse 6. And David speaks about himself. This poor man, that's him, cried out. And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. You know, it's good. That could be a very important verse for a Christian in 2012, you know that a Christian sometimes gets to the end of things and all he can do is just fall on his knees and say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need your help. Lord, I'm just a poor man and I want you to help me. Well, of course, God is certainly going to. God sees David at all times 
Look at verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. David is recovering here. Fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. Uh, Notice in verse 11. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days? uh, And loves many days that he may see good. Keep your tongue from evil. Your lips from speaking guile, depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Verse 15. Verse 15 is a blessed verse. The Lord, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. God sees you. Whatever trial you're in, whatever difficulty you're in, God sees you. And he knows that you are his son. And his ears are open to their cry. Just uh, turn to First Peter. Turn back to First Peter. Peter has said, uh, writing. Uh, Peter is basically writing to the Jews. Of course, uh, uh, Christians, Jews who believe in in Jesus Christ, and Gentiles who believe in Jesus Christ. They are all Christians together. So First Peter is for me. But he's writing to those of uh, a, a Jewish descent. And he says that, uh, yes, you rejoice in your salvation, but for the time present, there may be trials in your life. I mean, suppose you were, well, if you go home and you tell your parents, if you're brought up in a Christian home, you say, I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, your parents will rejoice. If you're a Jewish son and you go into a Jewish home and says, I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, that may be the beginning of a trial right there uh, starting. And so Peter is writing to them about these trials. And look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. For he who would love life And see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. We just read that. That's the 34th Psalm, isn't it? Peter is quoting the 34th Psalm right to them. He's saying, think about David. Think about David. And God brings David through. Turn back to, uh, just for a closing thought, to First um, Samuel. First Samuel. And uh, chapter 22. 1 Samuel chapter 22. David is coming out of it. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and delivered him from all his troubles. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. Look at 1 Samuel 22. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. 
and everyone who is in distress, and everyone who is in debt, and everyone who is discontent, gather to him. And he became a captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him. And now David begins to come to his senses. And God says, now, David, I can use you. And all the people in Israel that felt that they needed more than King Saul upon the throne... For Saul is an ungodly man and can never beat the Philistines and never raise Israel up. And all that were discontent, they came down to David. God sent him down there. You know, you go through a trial and you become stronger and all of a sudden God says, now you can be a blessing to your brothers and your sisters in the things of the Lord. And they came in distress. Everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. And he became a captain over them. This was the beginning of the army of David. And with the army of David, he was going to beat the Philistines, beat the Moabites. The kingdom of David was going to be far greater than the northern border of Israel today. You go to the northern border, through the country of Lebanon, through the country of Syria, halfway into Turkey, to the Euphrates River. That's where the kingdom of David stops. David produced a a, a glorious kingdom for the things of God. All of a sudden, David in that cave, he poses a choice to the people of Israel. You can either be with Saul in the throne room or you can be with David in the cave. You know, David's in a place of rejection, but it was better to be with David in the cave than Saul in the throne room. There's a verse in Hebrews chapter 13, right? Let us go forth unto him without the camp bearing his reproach, right? The Lord put to death. He's not put to death with honor on the temple, on the, on the altar in the temple. He is cast outside the city. He is crucified in an in a unclean place and crucified between two thieves. And now, in a sense, a Christian has a choice. You know, I can either stand with, uh, with man who in his own thoughts and his own ways is trying to battle out of his uh, predicament or I can take my place with the Lord Jesus Christ. It is better to take your place with Christ. And in that cave, you notice the true king was there. That's David. And the Bible tells us the true prophet was there. Look at verse 5. The prophet Gad was there. And uh, not only that, but the the true priest was there. Look at verse 20. One of the sons of Ahimelech uh, named Abiathar escaped and fled after David. Saul killed all the priests. There was one left, and he found his way to that, to David. You have David the true king and you have the prophet Gad and you have the remaining priesthood. And here this young man, this young priest, he's running for his life from Saul. And uh, David says to him in verse 23, as David receives him, he says, stay with me. Do not fear 
For he who seeks my life seeks your life, but with me you shall be safe. See, David is growing, isn't he? By leaps and bounds. He's not fearing Saul anymore. He sees the tide has turned. He sees that God can use him as a blessing. And when David comes to the point where Saul is killed by the Philistines, and uh, David arises to the point as to who will be the king of Israel when he is chosen to sit upon the throne at the age of 30. He is going to be one magnificent king. He's going to reign for 40 years and die at 70. Three score and 10. David hits that right on the button. Three score and 10. You know... Uh, sometimes uh, I think that verse 23 is a verse for elders. You know, it's a it's a, a a person who perhaps comes to an elder for help, and uh, he is going through a trial or so. And if he can talk to his elder, and he says, "You know, I I've walked that same path," and here are the verses that help me. Here are the verses that help me. And David, he can be that inspiration to his people. Can we look to the Lord, our precious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your your goodness to us. And Lord, uh, no trial for the present seems to be joyful, but sorrowful nevertheless afterwards. It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Lord, we thank Thee that that if it, even through trials You conform us to the image of Your Son, and that as we grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we may be a center of blessing for the people of the Lord. In His name we give Thee our thanks. Amen. Amen.